Good morning again. Have you guys heard that Steven Spielberg has a movie coming out in just a couple of days, actually, in December? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? What is it? It is not a new Star Wars movie. It is West Side Story, a remake. Now, I know that that raises some eyebrows. Could Spielberg do a... Could a Star Wars person do a West Side Story remake? I'm excited. The reviews are good. I happen, I know you all know me as a Star Wars fan, but I was a huge West Side Story fan. I, I, I grew up with the music in that. And uh, most of you know, I don't know if all of you know, that it's kind of a modern take on uh, Romeo and Juliet, that ancient story and it just places it in gangs, the sharks and the jets, and it tells the story, and exciting. And of course, the, the music is wonderful, and all of those things, dancing is wonderful. But in, in the essence of West Side Story and Romeo and Juliet is this love story. And, and this love story is, is beautiful and yet tragic at the same time. Most of you if you remember perhaps from your English classes in high school when you read Romeo and Juliet, that, that Juliet takes uh, uh, something to make her sleep and make people think that she's dead and they try and tell Romeo and he comes and finds her, thinks she's dead, so he wants in love to be with her, so he poisons himself. She wakes up and realizes what had happened and so she also kills herself to be with Romeo in eternity. So tragic, significant, but also there's like a beauty to it, right? This true love, this desire to be with another forever. We are in uh, the second week of Philippians. If you would, would you brought your Bibles there, would you turn there to Philippians? And we began to look at this epistle of joy, this letter recognizing that Paul is writing from a personal place, jail, where he's facing execution, and yet he is inviting the Philippian Christians, as well as you and I, to be a people of joy, wrestling with how in the world could Paul be so joyous. And in fact, in this next section of Philippians chapter 1, he is going to talk about his personal circumstance, and he's going to give a perspective of both death and life that I feel is incredibly challenging. It's almost hard to relate to. That, that his perspective is so radical and, and he's inviting us in there. I, I, I've been trying to understand, in fact, I've tried to understand this for, for many years, and, and the only way I can even begin to wrap my head around his perspective of death and life is if I begin with a lens of true love. 
that there must have been this incredible love within Paul's heart to have this perspective that we're about to read. And I would say it's an invitation to us not only to be a people of joy as we've talked about, but to be a people of true love. So Philippians chapter 1, we're going to pick up where we left off. We ended with verse 19. Why don't we just read verse 19? Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, Paul says. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, again, so very Trinitarian there, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, whether he would be delivered to continue to ministry or delivered into eternity. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I, Paul, remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'll leave you on your own time to read the rest of chapter 1 there. I want to just unpack these several verses. What Paul is saying in an incredible way, is he's saying, I have a choice, almost playfully saying I have a choice, rather to die or to continue on. And he's saying, I, I, I eagerly expect, I, I have a hope that I will have sufficient courage, whatever the outcome of my circumstance. Again, he's in prison, he's facing possible execution, so we see Paul, and he's wrestling with the possible imminence of his death, that he would be executed. And he's sharing this perspective. And he's saying, I am confident that I will not respond in shame. For example, some who have been imprisoned or even threatened, life-threatening situations, because of the faith, they've renounced his faith. Paul is saying, no, that will not be me. Some who are, are about to be put to de death, they'll, they'll, they'll plead for their lives, they'll, they'll struggle for their lives, they'll do anything to save their lives. Paul is saying, I have sufficient courage 
that whatever the outcome is, that I will remain true, that I will conduct myself worthy. And I believe he tells us the reason for this great confidence. He says, I have this confidence because if you really understand where I'm at, I'm in a win-win situation. I want to suggest to you that oftentimes we see our lives as a lose-lose situation. And Paul is saying, no, 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 actually, in this prison cell, in this moment, I'm in a win-win. So what Paul is doing, he's saying, in my case, if I were to be released, we're good to go. That would be awesome. Then, verse 27, I get to commit my life to fruitful labor, that it would be for your own progress and your own joy that I would continue living. And then he says, if I'm executed, if they take my life, we're good to go. Verse 21. Look at verse 21 with me. If you've got your own Bibles, you've got your highlighter, you might want to highlight this verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know, we like to have life verses, right? You hear people and they'll do interviews and they'll say, oh, my life verse. In fact, there's a Philippian verse that people often turn to in chapter 4, that in Christ Jesus, who strengthens me, I can do all things, right? Maybe that's some of one of your life verse. I've never met anyone whose life verse is, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, what an amazing verse. Like, who says that? Is that a perspective that we could actually embrace? If I'm honest, it feels a little bit otherworldly of Paul. It feels a sense of unattainable, like, I guess that's Paul. I don't see myself getting there to that place. Some of you will recognize the name John Stott. He's one of my favorite theologians, and he passed away a number of years ago. Another famous Christian author, Oz Guinness, was writing about uh, spending some time just before John Stott died. And he wrote this. John Stott was a peerless preacher, Bible teacher, evangelist, author, global leader, and friend to many. I knew him over many decades, but I will never forget my last visit to his bedside three weeks before he died. After an unforgettable hour and more of sharing many memories over many years, I asked him how he would like me to pray for him, lying weakly on his back and barely able to speak. He answered in a hoarse whisper, pray that I will be faithful to Jesus until my last breath. Pray that I will be faithful to Jesus until my last breath. 
And then Osginus wrote, would that such a prayer be the passion of this generation? And I read that years ago, and I thought, yeah, that's, I want to be faithful to Jesus for the rest of my days. That's going to be my prayer, and that's how I'm going to live. And it's good, isn't it? That's good. But Paul is going beyond that, right? He's moving his perspective. Like, I I can kind of relate to John Stott and go, yes, I, I think I can move and shape my life. But Paul is going another level in this. Like, like would you agree with me? He, he is, it's almost a reverse Christmas. We all celebrate that Jesus comes to earth and Paul is like, you know what? Yeah, that's great, but Jesus isn't on earth anymore. I want to go to heaven now. And that's far better. How many, if Jesus were to appear and say, listen, Springs Community Church, I'm going to give an option of reverse Christmas, right? You know, you'll, right now, you'll get to come up with me right now, kind of an Enoch walking with, just pulled up. All right, who's volunteering? Okay, all right. This is very contrary, right, to what we think. In fact, we had a, a funeral service of a dear saint yesterday. And I began talking with some of the family members and I was sharing this idea and they're like, oh yeah, I've got a lot of life I want to live yet before I do that. Isn't that a, a normal response that we would have? That, that to, faced with this option of going to be with the Lord Oftentimes we're like, well, no, 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 I want to I hang out for just a bit. There, there's a number of things that I feel called to do and want to accomplish. There's, I want to be there for my loved ones and those kind of things. I, when, when someone passes away and, and they're young, like a tragedy of the, the high school student that was in national news, you're, I, I mean, it, at least for me, that first instinct is so young that, so much life to live. And I've wrestled with how do you square this idea that, that Paul is saying, I'm ready. In fact, I would like to go, given the choice, I'd probably like to go and be with the Lord right now. I think part of the answer is that we have to understand this, I think, this love relationship between Paul and Jesus. That he was knocked off of his horse on the road to Damascus and he said, who are you? And and Jesus said, I am the Lord Jesus whom you're persecuting and that was the introduction and from that moment Saul became Paul and I would say from that moment Paul took on a goal in his life 
that there was a center of his life. And that center, he tells us, was to know and follow Christ Jesus. That, that he would share this later in Philippians. In Philippians 3.10, he says this. He's talking about the goal of life. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. He wasn't just talking about a knowledge, a, a head knowledge. He was speaking as a Jew where that, that knowing is this, a relational knowing an experiential knowing. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. I want to live my life in the presence of Christ Jesus. This is my goal, which I have not attained fully yet. It put that moment on Damascus, put Paul on this trajectory of Jesus. I want to know you. An apostle the Apostle John puts it in another way. 1 John 3, 2, he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known to us. Who we really are, hear him now, has not really been made known to us. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There is this face-to-face. -face. There is this fully knowing. There is this reality. Josie is uh, part of our house of prayer, and she was praying, and we were talking about this. I, I don't know if the House of Prayer even knew that we, I was going to be preaching on this or not. And she was uh, sharing about this. Uh, she gets a prayer uh, list from the uh, um, uh, open doors for those believers being persecuted. And she said this, uh, Alia is this Iranian 10-year-old girl and it's too dangerous for their family to celebrate Christmas in Iran. So her birthday is in January, so they have to celebrate Christmas in January at, under the guise of her birthday because it would be too dangerous. And it says that she has a prayer, her biggest prayer, her biggest request on Christmas and this is her prayer request, to one day celebrate Jesus' birthday with him face to face. And I thought, well, that's rather Pauline of her. Like this 10-year-old this Iranian girl to a certain degree, I think she gets it better than I get it. That, that's her prayer. That, that's her desire. Like, does she realize that prayer? I mean, she's only 10 years old. She's got a lot of life to live, right? And yet, to make that her prayer, just a, a side note that I, I find 
interesting that in eternity there's a, there's a mystery that we don't fully know how it all happens and yet especially Jesus has revealed to us some of that mystery of heaven and eternity that he prepares a place for us that we get to be with our friends and family. But Paul also reveals some of that mystery and, and Paul uses the phrase that we, uh, some who have, uh, will, will sleep. And some have argued that we, we enter into a, a, a time of sleep when we wait for the second coming to return. Um, Protestants have argued that. Catholics will talk about purgatory. But what I think is interesting in this passage is the only way to really understand what Paul is saying is that he believes wholeheartedly that when he dies, he will be in the full presence of Jesus Christ. In fact, he writes in another place, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. One of my pastors who has now gone on when we talked about eternity, he said, know this, believe it, walk in this. To be absent from the physical body is to be present with the Lord in the manifest full presence face to face with Jesus and Paul believed this so fully and completely and so faithfully he's like I'm ready far better in this instance and yet he goes on to say and again, I, I think, does he have a choice of the matter? Not really. Some scholars would say he's kind of being playful. He's saying, what will I choose? Death or life? And, and he says, no, maybe prophetically he got this word discerned that God was saying, no, 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 verse 24, it's necessary that I stay for you, for your progress and your joy. So his, his perspective of death is it would be far better. And then he moves to this perspective of life, which I think is almost as radical as his perspective of death. I'm reminded of the words he shared with the Athenian philosophers when he said this, God did this so that they would seek him, all people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying that, okay, now if I'm preserved, if, law, if the Lord gets me out of prison, which we believe historically at this moment, he, he did get Paul out of prison, then there's no selfish ambition. Remember we talked about selfish ambition last week. There's none of this, okay, I've got these three bucket list things. I've got this sense of, of goals and focus. And Paul says, not none of that. He says, okay. Fruitful labor for you because my life is for the Lord. 
Again, brothers, sisters, to die is a win, but to live was a win for Christ. Yes, Paul's perspective of death is certainly challenging and radical, but also is his perspective of life. For him, death was not wrapped in fear, especially the fear of unknown, which is for so many of us of being robbed of life. No, death for him was wrapped in intimacy and anticipation and fulfillment to be in the presence of the Lord. And at the same time, life was not wrapped for him in selfish ambition, but to live life in Christ Jesus, in the Lord, within whom we move and have our being. How in the world can we embrace those perspectives that Paul, is it, is it too otherworldly? Should we shoot for a John Stott level? Or should we go for that Pauline level? More of you raised your hand than I thought. Maybe I shouldn't ask. I mean, okay, John Stott, I'll be faithful to the end. But I got a bunch of stuff I want to do. So I think there, I want to share of a, a profound shift that happened in my life that it's going to be a little challenging for me to share this with you all, but we'll see how it goes, right? So there was a, a moment that a profound shift, gosh, I'm tearing up. I haven't even gotten into the details yet. So there's a, there was a moment that was a profound shift at the, at the height of my struggle with custody and uh, false accusations and just a, a deep, deep uh, pit of, of sadness and sorrow that a change happened in my heart. That, well, let me say it this way. There was a silver lining in the midst uh, of that deep struggle and that silver lining was the deeper that the struggle got, the deeper that my intimacy with Jesus got. It was a pretty awesome silver lining. And at one point, I felt like, you know what? I think I'm ready just to be with you, Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that I was suicidal I had more in my mind a monastery that, that was what I was thinking of truly like how awesome would it be to leave <laughs> everything and find maybe a Protestant monastery and, and I would pray for the world right I, I'd be hospitable to the world I would serve the world and whatever God but I could just go to that monastery and just spend the rest of my days, like I've re I was reading some of the ancient saints just to be with the Lord. Doesn't that sound good? I, 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 some of you can relate, like just remove that. Now, 
I don't, it, it was not suicidal, so it wasn't like that. It also wasn't as righteous and holy as Paul's perspective here. There, there, there was more of a, a escapism, I think. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think the biggest challenge to that thinking was my children. You know, I would just kind of mention, you know what, I'm ready to go. And uh, they would be like, no, 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 Dad, we need you around, hang out. And so I'd be like, okay, how do I reconcile this growing intimacy, this, this simple desire to be with the Lord with, with what's here? And so I feel like God has me on this discipleship process to get to where Paul is even though I have a really long way to go. And so I came to this place of how now should I live? If I've arrived at this place where I'm ready to let go of all ambition in the world, really, how should I live? And I felt like the Lord said, this is going to be really shocking to you. But I felt like he said, my kingdom. I want you to live my kingdom. Kingdom within. Kingdom advancing. And kingdom eternal. Kingdom within. Kingdom advancing. Kingdom eternal. Let me just touch on, on these briefly. You know, Paul talks about knowing Christ and, and not, as well as the, the fellowship of his sufferings. And so in part, I had to believe that in the midst of my struggle and suffering, that there was a good work that was happening within me. Didn't understand. I couldn't see it. But I had to trust that there was this work and to understand a little bit of suffering and also righteousness. And, and so I, I said, all right, well, if I'm going to suffer, I'm going to trust. And then I began to realize there's in contemplative world, there is this idea of a true self and a false self. You've heard me speak on it at different times before. There is this idea of the kingdom of God is within us. And we're, we're made in the image of God, and yet we're all broken, and we have a false self, and we have pretense, we have bitterness and unforgiveness, we have anger, we have selfishness. That's all part of that false self and who we are and yet we also have a true self where that's the self that Christ Jesus died for us to be that's the that's the Julie in Christ person that's the David in Christ person that's the Eric in Christ person and we we struggle with our sin and brokenness and yet there is this journey that he invites us 
on. Paul in another place, Galatians 4.19. He's speaking to Christians and he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul was not saying until you lead people to Jesus, until you grow the church, until you fill in the blank. He was saying until, what did he say? Until Christ is formed in you. Luke and I were talking about uh, college life and post-college life. And I said, one of the cool things about college is you always have a goal, right? You can have the, the waste of a day, but you're still working towards a goal. There, there's something that you like to work at, right? And then after college, Luke is taking a gap year, there's no quite goal there. So he can just waste a day, which he does sometimes. <laughs> I think in the Christian life, there is this continuous, maybe you would call it an undercurrent of a goal that Jesus died to form and shape you into his image, to teach you abundant life and true life. And it's a, it's a lifelong school. It's a school of the Holy Spirit. It's a school of transformation that's happening. And even our most, our, our darkest days, our most significant losses are part of that transformation process. See, I, I think this loving relationship that Paul has with Jesus directly relates to joy, right? Because if he sees this, if Paul, which we're gonna, we're gonna unpack deeply. I'm trying to lay a foundation for Philippians later, especially chapter 3. But the, this idea where he's like, no, 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 no. I, I haven't reached the goal yet. I'm still, what, the Apostle Paul? You've got this perspective and you haven't reached the goal? No, this intimacy with Christ, this formation, even this jail. He's sitting in jail and that's part of what God is using to form and shape him into the image of Christ. And as he's formed and shaped in this image, so intimacy with Christ grows and develops. And, and let me just, get, I'm just going to try this a bit too. This I was also talking with someone about the spiritual discipline of indifference. In the English, indifference means more of a cold you're in, someone is indifferent, a parent might have been indifferent to your circumstances, but that's not what the, in, in the Christian faith, the Orthodox faith, faith, when they talk about indifference, they're saying, no, 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 your heart is so rightly attuned to God that it brings a distance to other things. And as you grow in intimacy with God here, there's a healthy biblical indifference to other things in the world. Is that helpful? Hold on to that, especially for Philippians 3, okay? Now, 
Second part, that's kingdom within, also kingdom uh, advancing or the Father's business. At a crucial moment in the life of Christ Jesus, he said to his disciples and he says to you and I, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. He's saying you're in the know. That the father is on the move in this world. And I've revealed his purposes to you. It was a missionary, I, I can't, uh, couldn't find and understand this quote, but this missionary, I believe, said this. If we look at our life as some precious treasure, we must hoard. The demands made by others of our life are like losses. And death is the final loss. A final failure to hold on to our life. But if we look at our life as a treasure, we must share Every service we give to others is a fulfillment of our life's purpose. And death is the final giving, the total giving. That perspective of saying, no, 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 where Paul could have no selfish ambition, but saying God is on the move, and for as long as I'm here, Fruitful labor. For as long as I'm here, I want to see that kingdom advancing. So I, as I brought that around to my kids, yes, do I want to see them married and see kids and graduation and all those good things. But I'm trying to grow and at the core of my desire is to see the kingdom come and God's will be done in their lives. In Kindra's life. In your life as your pastor. I want to see his kingdom come. I, I want to see you guys formed in, in, in the image of Christ Jesus. I want to see you fall in love to a greater measure with Christ Jesus. I want to see an indifference happen in your soul for the things of this world. What's the hymn? Where the things of the world grow strangely dim. What is that song? What's the title of that song? The eyes, uh, yes. Yeah. Can you sing that, Jedediah, as we close? I, you probably don't know it right. Maybe. All right. But you see where I'm, I, I don't want to just be at those beautiful moments in the lives of the people I love. I want to see the kingdom come in their lives, in your life. And then finally, I'll say this, kingdom eternal all things made new. That Paul, whether it was taken up into heaven in a vision, 
whether it was these prophetic moments where, where Paul was reflecting, where Paul was given revelation about end times and the Antichrist, and he would actually teach it, especially in First Thessalonians. He's teaching about eternity. He's teaching about heaven. He's teaching about all these things. To, to a, a profound degree, we see Paul focused on eternity. That moment, Revelation 21, 5, when all things, heaven comes to earth. And then Jesus, it says, then he who sat on the throne said, this resurrected Jesus, behold, I make all things new. I was reading another scholar who said, perhaps the church has missed it. That heaven has become an addendum to the Christian life rather than its focus and priority. One of the privileges of being a pastor is performing many uh, memorial services and funeral services. So I'm forced to reflect on eternity and how I'll have to give an account of my life but also the joys of eternity. That I'll get to be reunited with my parents someday. I'll get to be with all my friends and family, including those tragic losses in my life. To believe the gospel is, I find great joy in, even in the dark times, even in the times of loss. These memorial services are this weird juxtaposition of joy and celebration and mourning of loss. Again, maybe that's a a little bit of our understanding of how Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Friends, I know we're, we're digging deep this morning. But would you hold these things in prayer? Would you hold this radical, almost unbelievable perspective of Paul on death and life? Would you hold this invitation of Jesus Christ, of kingdom within, of kingdom advancing and kingdom eternal, would you hold that before him? Say, God, help me fall into deeper love with you. Remember the prayer that we started Philippians with, that that Paul says in in, in Philippians 1, 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight as we understand the gospel, as we understand revelation, as we understand more and more. He's saying, that's my prayer for you, that you would fall in love with Jesus and this love would be abounding and moving and growing and changing even your perspective of death and life. Would you hold this, what I would say, invitation as we live into this Advent, as we live into the book of Philippians?
Would you pray with me? So Jesus, I I confess that sometimes your truth feels unattainable. Sometimes your revelation feels like no one could do that but you, Jesus, or someone like Paul the Apostle. And yet it's right there, Jesus. And yet you invite us to this kind of perspective. Lord, Lord, would you work within us this growing and abounding love for you. But I think that your love will teach us all things that are we lack understanding in and we feel are unattainable. Lord, would you help us to be a people that are continuing to fall more and more in love with you, Lord. That yes, we'd experience true love for one another, but that true love would be based on that true love with you, Jesus.